This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashran Johan. Over the past few months, the Zionist regime of Israel has been carrying out a cruel campaign of bombardment and genocide against Palestinians in the city of Gaza. Close to 30,000 people have been killed, half of whom are children. More than 2 million Palestinians have been displaced from their homes. Displaced Palestinians are now crammed into Rafah in southern Gaza and are struggling to secure basic necessities. Israel claims that this is merely a response to the attacks by Hamas on October 7, 2023. However, we have to keep in mind that Israel has been engaged in settler colonialism and ethnic cleansing relentlessly against the Palestinian people for decades. What's interesting is some experts claim that despite killing thousands upon thousands of Palestinians, Israel is not exactly winning this battle. So who's winning? What does winning look like? Joining me on the show today to unpack this is Muslim Imran. He's the founding director of the Asia Middle East Centre. He's a Palestinian rights activist. Muslim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Darshan, for having me on the show. Let's start with just an update on the situation on the ground um, right now. Um, what is going on um, in Rafah? What are the latest updates from the ground that you have? The Israeli government has uh, exhausted all of its uh, plans so far. Uh, from day one, they made it very clear that ethnic cleansing was one of their uh, uh, goals. They wanted to clear Gaza of Palestinians and they started pushing them down south. They wanted people to be sent into exile. They even uh, utilized the help of the American uh, administration and uh, Secretary of State Blinken, traveled around Arab countries trying to persuade different Arab governments to take in Palestinians as refugees. Uh, so uh, pushing people down south to Rafah was part of the plan. Now, um, Palestinians, even in the northern parts of Gaza, refuse to leave. There are, as we speak, half a million Palestinians still um, uh, at home in uh, the northern parts of Gaza. Of course, they are starving to death. This, this is, of course, a, a very serious uh, humanitarian crisis that we see in the northern part of Gaza. But in the south, uh, those who moved down south are internally displaced and they are not willing to leave uh, Gaza um, even if some of them leave for uh, humanitarian purposes, the general public is very determined to stay in uh, their own uh, homes in Gaza. Now, Israel, having crowded one and a half million Palestinians in Rafah, has generated a, a major humanitarian crisis. Even without attacking the Palestinians in Rafah militarily, Israel has actually caused a serious humanitarian crisis. They are pushing the Palestinian population into famine, into uh, uh, in, in facing infectious diseases, uh, into um, so many so uh, you know types of problems. The 1.5 million Palestinian internally displaced uh, people who are in Rafah now don't have proper shelter. Many of them are staying in tents. Some are sleeping in streets. Um, not enough uh, you know uh, clothes. Not enough food. 
Of course, some humanitarian aid is getting into Rafah, unlike the northern parts of Gaza, but it certainly is not enough for 1.5 million Palestinians, especially that um, uh, this humanitarian aid is being searched by the Israelis. So the streamlining of humanitarian aid is, is very, very slow because of uh, this Israeli uh, you know, restriction. Um, now, the threat of military attack on Rafah, which of course is serious because uh, having uh, seen the Israelis uh, uh, over the last four months, uh, you know, shows the whole world that uh, uh, the people in charge in Israel are not rational thinkers. They are not uh, in their right mind. They are willing to commit all sorts of massacres and, uh, you know, crimes. Uh, ha- having seen all of that, the possibility of Israel's military going into Rafah uh, on a ground invasion is, is very likely. Um, not that they have achieved a great success in their military campaign in the northern parts of Gaza because their military uh, personnel are facing a very tough resistance in all parts of Gaza, in Khan Yunus, in Gaza City itself, in Jabalia, in Betlahia and elsewhere. But for domestic consumption, Netanyahu wants to tell the Israeli uh, people that I have managed to attack every single inch in Gaza. Uh, whether he succeeded in his operation or not, I, I think he does not care. He cares to uh, frame his uh, operation as a success. Um, he has huge uh, you know, amount of censorship of uh, news coming out of Gaza. Uh, so the Israeli public is probably not that aware of the failure of this military campaign the huge losses that the Israeli army, you know, is uh, facing in uh, every single city in Gaza, I think the Israeli public is still not aware, not fully aware of, of that. Palestinians have faced oppression at the hands of Israel for decades. Settler colonialism, ethnic cleansing, illegal occupation, etc. They've laid siege on Gaza for close to two decades now, suffocating the civilians there. What was the significance of Hamas and other Palestinian resistance groups breaking through that siege by force on October 7th? I think it's important to start there. Of course, the Palestinian resistance realizes that uh, uh, to end occupation and to um, defeat uh, settler colonial uh, you know, occupation, uh, you don't need to outnumber your enemy. You don't need to be militarily stronger you don't need to um, you know have more resources uh, than the colonizer uh, but you need to deal them a big blow you need to make the cost of colonization too expensive unbearable for the colonizer to carry on with and uh, Hamas and as well as other Palestinian uh, resistance groups real- realize that they have learned from the experience of uh, the Vietnamese, the Algerians, and many other uh, nations. When the October 7th attack took place, I think the Palestinian leadership, the leadership of the resistance, had this on mind. Uh, they had to uh, bring the Israeli military uh, establishment to its knees. And that is exactly what happened on the 7th of October. Now, Israel has invested so much in propaganda, not not just the military. Israel has invested so much in building a mighty military, in building uh, security apparatuses, in uh, using uh, high tech, in using 
a huge number of personnel in the Israeli society itself is a very uh, militarized society. But in addition to all of these investments, Israel invested in propaganda. Right. And they propagated the idea that they are an invincible army. They are a superior power. And they are so strong that their enemies have uh, no uh, uh, way to defeat them. This um, uh, is probably based on uh, one Zionist uh, theory or idea uh, advanced by uh, early Zionist uh, theoretician, Zeev Jabotinsky, one of the fathers of uh, right-wing Zionism. Uh, so Jabotinsky su suggested that we have to build an iron wall. And of course, uh, Zionists are fond of walls. They have a separation wall in the West Bank, uh, which is 730 kilometers uh, long and sometimes 10 or 8 meters high. Uh, they wanted to build iron wall, meaning to say they wanted to be so superior militarily that their enemy won't dare attack, won't dare climb the wall. Since October uh, 1973, not a single Arab neighbor or, uh, you know, or even a Palestinian uh, uh, resistance uh, uh, entity was able to break this theory. Israel's iron wall was very secure. On October the 7th, only a handful of Palestinian resistance fighters, um, estimates say they were 1,200 up to 2,000 by the end of the day, were able to bring down Israel's southern command. Israel's southern command includes about 15,000 soldiers of all units, including uh, special forces, commando units, uh, air force, uh, naval force, and ground force uh, units. Within two to three hours, this Southern Command was shattered. Thousands were, thousands of military uh, personnel were killed, captured, injured, or um, ran away. And uh, this uh, panic, was seen not only within the Israeli military, but also within the Israeli establishment itself. Um, the 7th of October, uh, military-wise, was a huge Israeli defeat, a huge failure. And you, you don't need to listen to the Palestinians on this, listen to what the Israeli commentators themselves are saying, or what military experts worldwide are saying. It was an intelligence failure, it was a security failure, it was a military failure. And most importantly for us in Palestine, it was a psychological failure. Israel, uh, for one moment, thought that it was very superior and its enemies, the colonized Palestinians, will never dare uh, challenge uh, its occupation. That, that uh, has been shattered. Now, that, that was the October 7th uh, you know, military operation. What followed was... Uh, of course, an insane Israeli response, it was not military strategy. So Israel continued its military failure. What uh, they unleashed on Gaza is genocide. Wars have rules. What Israel is doing now is not a war. It's a genocide. However, in spite of their genocidal war on civilians and the huge Palestinian civilian casualty, military-wise, since they infiltrated Palestinian cities, the Israeli military invasion has proven to be another failure. The guerrilla warfare that the Palestinian fighters is 
mounting against Israel is heroic, is exceptional. Young Palestinian fighters all over the Palestinian uh, towns and cities in uh, Gaza are making it impossible for Israel to claim victory. Before we go into that further, when we look at um, you know Hamas and other Palestinian resistance fighters, what their objectives were on, on October 7th, how would you describe their objectives? Because some might um, argue, and even this is coming from those who support the Palestinian cause, um, I've heard some arguments that what Hamas and the resistant fighters did on October 7th just brought wrath onto the Palestinian people. Like you said, the, the increase, the bombardment, the genocide, and all of that. So did this move on October 7th from the the part of the Palestinian resistance fighters make things worse. How do you read that situation? I would say that those who make such claims are either uh, unaware of what's happening in Palestine or uh, living in ivory towers. For anybody who has paid a visit to the Gaza Strip or to the other Palestinian occupied uh, Palestinian territories in the West Bank or to Israel itself, where 1.5 million Palestinians live as second class citizens, it was not a rosy life. There, uh, there are 2 million Palestinians in Gaza. 70% of them are refugees. And do you know what life in refugee camps is? Refugee camps are very small territories, very crowded with almost non-existent uh, basic logistics and facilities. Um, uh, there are no um, you know, public parks. Uh, there are no uh, shopping malls in these refugee camps. The life in refugee camps is all about survival. Many international organizations uh, for the last decade or, or more have been saying that Gaza will be uninhabitable by the year 2020. Uh, water is difficult to get. Electricity is difficult to get, especially that Israel keeps making things worse. They keep bombarding the electric generators. They keep, um, you know, controlling the access uh, to to the world for Gaza. Fuel does not come in regularly. People cannot travel in and out. More than 300 Palestinians, for instance, died over the last 10 years because of their inability to travel for medication. This is before October 7th. There uh, were several Israeli genocidal wars on Gaza uh, in 28, 2012, 2014, 2021. The uh, Palestinians in Gaza do not enjoy basic uh, life needs. The access to, to food is, is, is a big problem. There is malnutrition even before the war. So life wasn't rosy things were getting worse. And Israel had its ethnic cleansing plans uh, set in motion, of course, not only in Gaza, but in the West Bank. An Israeli minister, uh, Smutrich, minister of finance, a, a far-right uh, minister, few years ago made it very clearly, very publicly, that uh, Israel should wipe out Hawara. That's a town in the West Bank. He once had a press uh, statement um, recited at the podium where the map of Palestine and Jordan uh, was shown as the map of Israel. So the idea of even annexing uh, neighboring territories was still publicly portrayed in Israel. The word transfer is one of the most common words in Israeli political discourse, transfer of Palestinians out of the West Bank and out of Israel into exile. 
humanitarian groups or human rights groups like Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and even Israeli human rights groups like B'Tselem published a report after the other saying that Israel is an apartheid regime. And they documented these, uh, uh, you know, uh, practices, 100 uh, pages or, or more than. So it was not rosy. The Palestinians had to do something. This was, in a way, a preemptive strike on behalf of the Palestinians to force the, the, the Israelis to change their policies and to tell the world that, look, what's happening is a genocide. What's happening is an ethnic cleansing. It's an apartheid, and it has been happening for more than 75 years, but nobody was giving attention. In 2018, the Palestinians in Gaza staged one of the largest civilian protests in modern history called the Great Return March. I bet most of the audience who are listening to us tonight have never heard of it. More than 200 Palestinians were shot down by Israeli snipers uh, because they were demonstrating peacefully at the borders, you know, calling Israel to allow the Palestinians to return home. There are 7 million Palestinian refugees uh, exiled by Israel since 1948. So... Uh, the Palestinians have tried all means to actually get their political rights. But Israel has always denied them these rights. So the military attack was not to kill, was not to um, cause uh, uh, loss of life or uh, even infrastructure damage. It was to make a political statement that we want our basic rights. Since the year 2000, since the first uh, Palestinian resistance rocket launched on Israel, the number of Israeli casualties did not reach 20. But pe people don't know that. Israel frames it as if the Palestinians are launching nuclear warheads on, on Israel. These are simple projectiles designed to resist occupation and to make a statement that we want freedom. We don't want to continue to die silently. We want to have a state of our own. We want to live in peace uh, and dignity. Israel has been denying us that. And the Americans, unfortunately, have been complicit. Israel does not want to address any of the Palestinian rights. And America is just okay with it. And Netanyahu made it very, very clear a few weeks ago. Uh, I mean, he made it easier for everybody. He said he will never allow a Palestinian state uh, from the river to the sea. So uh, ha having known all that, it makes no sense if the Palestinians continue to sit idle and wait silent death since the start of 2023 until October 2023, more than 250 Palestinians were killed in the West Bank. And it was mostly children, extrajudicial killings of children, women, men, elderly. Um, the Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, and Jerusalem were one of the main targets of the current right-wing administration in Israel. They have made their plans very public. They want to destroy the mosque, the third holiest place uh, for Muslims, they decided that they have to speed up the destruction of Al-Aqsa Mosque to build a temple on the same place of Al-Aqsa Mosque. The Palestinians had to make a statement. Now, has the October 7th attack achieved liberation? Probably not. But, you know, you don't always win by, uh, you know, a knockout. Sometimes you have to, uh, you have to accumulate uh, points until you get total freedom. And this has happened in, in Vietnam. It has hap it happened in Algeria. It happened in many other places. And the Palestinians are no different. We are humans, unlike what Israel's uh, defense minister would like to think. We are not human animals. We are humans. 
we would like to live in peace and dignity. And if we are unable to get it through peaceful means, we have no choice but to think of other means. On the show with me today is Muslim Imran. He's a fellow at the Asia Middle East Center. He's a Palestinian rights activist. Um, we will continue this discussion after the break. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Muslim Imran. He's the founding director of the Asia Middle East Center. He's a Palestinian rights activist. And we are talking about who's winning the Israel-Palestinian conflict. This conversation is also available as a podcast. If you are listening to this on Spotify right now, I would really, really appreciate it if you could drop us a review, give us a follow. It'd be really, really helpful. So Muslim, let's talk about this idea of whether Israel is winning because like you said, this is, you know, decades of, uh, you know, Palestinians have been subjugated, have been oppressed in various ways by Israel for decades and decades. Um, on October 7th, Palestinians, um, resistance fighters, they broke through a siege that was assumed to be impenetrable. But as uh, in response to that, Israel has been embarking on a campaign of bombardment and genocide, um, you know, displacing Palestinians in Gaza by the millions. Do you think Israel is winning? Of course, I believe Israel is losing on both fronts, the military front and the political front. Maybe let's start with the political front. Politically, Israel is isolating itself from the whole world. And to us in Palestine, we know that Zionism is about genocide because this is how Israel was established 75 or 76 years ago. Uh, the, the Zionist ideology is a settler colonial ideology. It's a fascist expansionist ideology. They do not see others as equal humans. They believe in uh, colonization. They see colonization as a good thing, as a good phase of human history. Uh, and therefore... They've been committing all these atrocities for uh, decades. They have killed um, uh, tens of thousands of Palestinians before, uh, you know, October 2023. And they don't mind continuing to kill more Palestinians. But anyway, um, Israelis being like this uh, was in a way concealed from many people in the world. They have always put up a facade of democracy, of human rights. Uh, they participated in every international platform that uh, you know is respected by the world in UNESCO in the human rights council the united nations here and there so they successfully managed to conceal the true image and identity of zionism and many in the west in particular were really deceived by israel's sugar coating of their uh, policies so when Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International started talking about Israel being an apartheid, it, it came as a shock to many people in the West. But this ongoing genocide in Gaza, um, because Israel did not act rational after October the 7th, they lashed out. This genocide has really exposed them. And they have lost to a large extent the very uh, uh, moral legitimacy Israel, after October the 7th, lost its mind. And Netanyahu particularly, being desperate for power, 
to to stay as long as it takes in power to avoid any you know corruption charges or uh, going to jail uh, opted to commit maximum uh, you know crimes and and inflict maximum pain on the Palestinians thinking that they already have or thinking that they still have the political cover and the moral cover that the West provided them once. But with the advent of social media, with people seeing tens of thousands of innocent civilians being massacred, more than 12,000 children being crushed by Israeli uh, military uh, capabilities, um, I, I think this has shifted uh, international public opinion greatly. I don't think Israel enjoys the same, um, you know, cover that it once enjoyed. However, the shift in public opinion does not necessarily uh, have to be reflected in the balance of power and the dynamics within the spheres of power. That might take more time, but Israel is losing politically. This is the point I'm making, although I made it uh, very, you know, long and explicit. But yeah, Israel is losing politically. You, even if they won the war, you can win a war militarily, but still lose politically. This is what happened, for instance, in Indonesia during the national liberation struggle in the Battle of Surabaya. The Indonesian resistance lost militarily to some extent, and they lost more than 20,000 martyrs. The British and Dutch colonizers who won militarily lost politically, and eventually the Dutch had to leave uh, Indonesia. The same is happening in Palestine now. Everybody in the world re- realizes that the Palestinians should get a state of their own. What is the difference between killing thousands and thousands and thousands of civilians? At, at this point, about 25,000 um, Palestinian civilians have died, um, have been killed by Israel in Gaza. Half of them are children. But what's the difference between that and achieving military victory because some might say that if Israel is blatantly um, quoting Amalek calling Palestinians human animals basically they have ex- uh, explicitly talked about wiping out Palestinians are they achieving their goal definitely not because there are probably many of us uh, they they have killed tens of thousands but there are millions of Palestinians and uh, uh, Palestinians in Palestine and in diaspora will still, uh, you know, continue to resist uh, Israel. So Israel achieving ethnic cleansing, I think it's a gun, uh, you know, case. It's impossible to achieve that. They, they are re- slowly realizing that, although they are still hoping for something by attacking Rafah. They're still hoping that maybe we can push, you know, a few hundred thousand Palestinians. But I think they are eventually realizing that the, it's difficult to achieve. Uh, and the international community is going to, you know, go crazy about it. Uh, and they are going to get into more trouble regionally. More neighbors, more Arab countries are getting involved directly. More Muslim countries are getting involved directly. The longer the war gets, the more dangerous it becomes for Israel. It started with Yemen imposing a, a naval embargo on Israel. Uh, which is costing them billions of dollars. But there are now, for instance, resistant uh, attacks on Israel coming all the way from Iraq. A few days ago, it, it, and it happened several times, there were, uh, in addition to the uh, Iraqi attacks on American military bases, there were direct military attacks from Iraq all the way to Israeli sites. 
So you are getting Hezbollah and the Lebanese involved. You're getting Syrians involved. Um, God knows who else will get uh, involved. So Israel achieving ethnic cleansing is becoming very, very, you know, difficult. Israel achieving, uh, you know, other military goals that they announced early on is also becoming very difficult. They said that they will finish off Hamas in Gaza. They would like to uh, dismantle Hamas. The way they put it is also funny. Because Hamas is a social movement. Before being a political party that was elected to power in 2006, Hamas is a social movement with hundreds of thousands of members. There are men, women, youth, elderly who are members of this social movement and political group. The resistance fighters are, of course, a few thousands. Not sure how how many they would be, but there are probably tens of thousands of uh, resistance fighters under Al-Qassam and other uh, military resistance groups. There are tens of thousands of members of Hamas who are not armed men, who are not trained to fight, who are civilians, who are school uh, teachers, who are, uh, uh, you know, business operators, regular people. And uh, the society in Gaza beyond Hamas is ready to put a fight against Israel, even if Hamas is completely wiped out. Hamas is new. Hamas is only 37, 37 years uh, of age, right? Uh, there are many Palestinian factions that are 50 years of age, 70 years of age. They have been there fighting for their freedom. If Israel manages to destroy Hamas, there will be future groups that will continue to resist Israel. So it's not about the uh, spe- this specific uh, resistance groups, but Israel tries to demonize Hamas and make it all about Hamas. That's why you see in Western media the titles are Israel Hamas war. When in reality, it's not Israel-Hamas war. It's an Israeli war on the Palestinians everywhere. Hamas does not have any political uh, control in the West Bank. Why has Israel killed 350 Palestinians in the West Bank in the last few months? Why has Israel um, been invading the Jenin camp, Tulkarm camp, attacking Jericho, attacking Hebron, attacking refugee camps all over the place? Why has Israel continued to uh, disturb the Palestinian Muslims and Christians in Jerusalem before and after the war. Why are they blocking Al-Aqsa Mosque? This has nothing to do with Hamas. Almost none of these uh, practices have anything to do with Hamas. Um, they are out to steal and annex as much land as possible, to kill and expel as many Palestinians as possible, and they are out to impose their own hegemony over the region. What are the armed and uh, factions that are not armed fighting alongside Hamas? Because like you rightfully pointed out, it's always painted as if it's Israel versus this so-called terrorist organisation, when in reality it's much more nuanced. Could you paint a picture of the different factions um, fighting alongside Hamas? You see, before talking about the other factions, the attempt by some Western commentators Mm. and by Israel, of course, to draw similarities between Hamas and uh, radical extremist uh, terrorist groups like uh, ISIS or or others is actually funny. These are very different groups because of ideological differences, because of the way they operate, because of their political goals. There are major differences. One, uh, Hamas is a local Palestinian uh, political group. Its goals are local, are Palestinian. Uh, And they are publicly stated all over the documents, all over the interviews, all over the meetings. It wants 
liberation of Palestine. It has its own social program, of course, just like the socialist Palestinian groups and the other liberal Palestinian groups have their own social programs. But politically, it wants liberation of Palestine. Uh, those, uh, you know, terrorist groups uh, that are launching war all over the world, they, they have different goals. Hamas is a legitimate Palestinian political uh, party and resistance group that won elections and if and in fact, it has been demanding from President Mohammed Abbas to hold elections again because they would like to engage in a democratic process. But before Hamas was even created, Israel demonized other Palestinian factions, Fatah, for instance, which was established in the late 1950s and led the Palestinian struggle all the way from the uh, mid-60s until uh, the Oslo Accord in 1993. Fatah was demonized by Israel. It had to. It resisted Israel for decades. It was attacked. Its leaders, its founders, were assassinated by Israel all over the place in Lebanon, in Tunisia, uh, in uh, inside Palestine, in even in Europe itself. So Fatah is still a major Palestinian faction. Uh, the current Fatah leadership under President Mahmoud Abbas does not believe in military resistance, unlike the founding fathers of Fatah, including uh, the late President Yasser Arafat, who led different battles against Israel, like the 1968 Al-Karama battle at the border of Jordan. It was a major military confrontation, like the, uh, the, the 1982 Israeli invasion of Lebanon and siege of Beirut. Fatah led a, a heroic uh, war uh, against Israeli uh, invasion and Israeli attacks. But the current president of Fatah, President Mohammed Abbas, does not believe in military resistance. He made it very clear since day one, uh, when he was elected as president in 2005, that he wanted to get a Palestinian state through uh, diplomatic channels and through the United Nations. Uh, good luck with that. He's, he's been trying for 30 years, and it's not yielding uh, results. That's why probably many Palestinians are frustrated and would like to try other means. Apart from Hamas and Fatah, which are the major Palestinian factions, uh, who would, I would say, win maybe 70 to 80% of the seats of any uh, uh, po potential elections. There are many other political factions. The Palestinian people are very politicized. We have some of the earliest political organizations in the Middle East. We had political parties as early as the 1920s, several political parties. We had uh, uh, representatives in the Ottoman parliament. Uh, we had uh, uh, one of the earliest uh, branches of the Communist Party in the world, in Palestine, in the 1920s. The Muslim Brotherhood, which was established in Egypt, also had branches in Palestine uh, in the 1920s and 1930s. Hezbut Tahrir, one of the major uh, uh, pol Islamic political groups, was founded in Palestine. Um, the Palestinians throughout the 20th century organized themselves politically, founded major organizations, the Arab uh, uh, nationalist movement, for instance, which had branches and wings all over the Arab world, including some governments in different Arab countries like Yemen uh, and elsewhere, was founded by a Palestinian uh, Christian uh, intellectual and political leader, George Habash, who later founded another Palestinian uh, political group called the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which continues to be the third major force within the Palestinian political uh, context and the resistance context. There are many groups fighting alongside uh, uh, the Qassam brigades in Gaza. 
few years ago, one of the successes of the Hamas government in Gaza was the establishment of uh, a united military command in Gaza, where almost every uh, significant military resistance group is represented. They make their decisions together. They have regular meetings. They coordinate their attacks. Um, they are coordinating their defense of Gaza right now. So at least uh, at least seven or eight other major factions are fighting together with the Qassam brigades in the Gaza Strip. The Popular Front has its own military wing, which is also engaged in a struggle against Israeli occupation. Some uh, military factions associated with Fatah, but probably uh, without the endorsement of the party president, are also engaged in resisting uh, Israeli occupation of Gaza. And there are a few other new newer factions that are engaged in national fight. Individual Palestinians in Gaza are ready to fight. Uh, you see in the interviews with the random people in the street, the layman is saying, I won't let Israel control me again. I remember the late Dr. Rifat Larir, a Palestinian academic and poet who uh, was assassinated by Israel a few weeks ago in Gaza. He did his PhD in, in Malaysia, by the way, in English literature. Um, in his last interview before being assassinated by Israel, he said, I am not a fighter. I, I, don't, I don't even know how to carry a gun. But if the last thing I would do in my life is to carry my pen and throw it at Israeli soldiers, I will do so. So this is the spirit in Gaza. People won't give in. Um, before we wrap this conversation up, as a Palestinian, what is your hope for the future of Palestine? What do you hope the end game is? And whatever you think um, the end game should be, how can we go about achieving it? Because we are not just uh, Palestine is not just going up against Israel, but against the U.S. empire and its allies. And as we've seen, whether it's in UN resolutions. Um, you know, if we just look at the global protest movements, unions, people of all ethnic and religious groups are coming together. Progressive voices are coming together, even in the US and the UK by the hundreds of thousands. But it just doesn't look like the political class and the political elite really care. Um, and it's just going on business as usual. The power still rests in their hands, it seems like. How do we go about achieving um, this end goal? I believe struggles um, accumulate, uh, you know, moral and uh, material support over the years, sometimes over the centuries. And it uh, waits until the right historical moment to, to, to deliver and to succeed. Look at, for instance, uh, uh, Indonesia, for instance. Indonesia was colonized for more than three, three centuries. And the Dutch um, continued to uh, persecute the Indonesians all the years. But at some phase in the history of Indonesia, the Indonesians resisted. There was the War of Java, uh, Prince Diponegoro struggling. Uh, 120 years before the independence took place, Imam Bonjol in Sumatra and many other liberation uh, struggles it did not work, but there was an accumulation, especially of moral, um, you know, legitimacy for resistance. Eventually, in the post-Second World War, the Indonesian people 
through their national liberation achieved their uh, freedom. So the right uh, moment in history has come. The geopolitical uh, developments allowed it. The same in Algeria. Algeria was annexed by France. So France not only colonized Algeria, but considered Algeria to be part of its own territory. And uh, France fought a very fierce war against the Algerian uh, you know, resistance for over a century. Uh, it continued to occupy Algeria and to persecute the Algerian people. But eventually, in the 1960s and the 1950s before that, when Africa was at the brink of liberation, when the national liberation movements were at the highest in their history, Algeria, along with so many other African nations, got their freedom and independence. The cost of colonization became very unsustainable. This is what the Palestinians are looking at when they are confronting Israel. This is what the Palestinians are thinking of when they see the 7th of October uh, attack. Uh, we are not interested in bloodshed. We are not interested in seeing the other side losing more people. We are certainly not interested in uh, uh, committing genocide like they are. We are interested in dignity and freedom. How to achieve that? You have to make the cost of colonization so high that it is unbearable for them to carry on. How to achieve that? Palestinian people have to continue to be steadfast, to resist by all means. If it is by throwing stones, they should. If it is by what Dr. Rifat said, throwing a pen at the soldiers. If it is by staging huge marches. If it is by waging a, a total war of liberation. The Palestinians have to do that, but that's not enough because the Israeli regime was erected uh, by the international uh, uh, powers. It was designed and sustained by the imperialist colonial powers since the First World War. They are the ones who designed the borders of the Middle East. They are the ones who uh, helped the settler colonial project to start. They are the ones who sponsored Israel from day one. They are the ones who assisted Israel to get arms and to continue to maintain its hegemony. They are the ones who continue to sustain and maintain the Israeli colonization. The United States, for instance, provides $3.8 billion of military aid annually to Israel, in addition to the money they spend on R&D, on investments, etc. So Israel is an, a colonial experiment. It will only come to an end when the right time comes. The Palestinians have to continue to undermine this colonial experiment but the international community should play a role in that. The international solidarity is very, very important and significant. Without it, we won't be able to liberate Palestine. Just like apartheid South Africa was dismantled by the forces of uh, resistance from within and uh, boycott and pressure from outside. We hope for the same. The geopolitics of the Middle East are changing. It is shifting. In the Cold War, there was a bipolarity and the Middle East was... Um, you know, an, an area of contest. Many of the national liberation movements in Africa and the Middle East got some support from the Soviet Union. They eventually managed to defeat the uh, European colonial powers. Even the United States was not in favor of a continuous uh, British and French hegemony in the Middle East. They wanted to have a hegemony of their own. Now the game is different, but the logic is the same. The US is the dominant power in the Middle East. They use Israel as their tool to maintain hegemony. That's why 
on October the 7th, the United States panicked more than Israel. They sent battleships. I mean, for God's sake, the, the few hundred Palestinian fighters carrying light arms do not need battleships to... What, what would a battleship do? But it was very symbolic. The United States realized that it's losing hegemony in the Middle East. Therefore, the geopolitical dynamics, dynamics will continue to unfold. And the anger boiling all over the Middle East is making it difficult for the U.S. to maintain Israel as its tool of hegemonic uh, power. The Yemenis are in now, the Lebanese are in, the Syrians, the Iraqis, the Iranians, and I believe many others would join if uh, Israel continues its uh, massacre. So geopolitics are changing. The international solidarity is growing. The moral guilt that the West has maintained for decades in its approach towards Israel is shifting. There is now a moral duty for the whole international community to end the Israeli genocide in Gaza. The very people that were seen once as victims, the Israelis, are seen now as criminal perpetrators of genocide. This is very, very significant. This is very strategic. Things will change. Before October the 7th, I always had uh, hopes that Palestine will be free in maybe 10 years, 20 years. But after October the 7th, I think it will be free uh, sooner than, than we could imagine. Muslim Imran, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was Muslim Imran, founding director of the Asia Middle East Centre. He's a Palestinian rights activist. This conversation is also available as a podcast. You just have to look up Beyond the Ballot Box on Spotify, the Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you are listening to this on Spotify, I would really, really appreciate it if you could follow us and drop us a review. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.